Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. We can't give them this much power in the cartoon world. A podcast, and I was told that if I did your podcast that I would, you know, advance to the next level. And we're podcasting and photographizing in front of the great the worst gigs of their life are, are because of Mark Bullos. <laughs> Anyone want a husband? Free free to a home. Now it doesn't even have to be a good home. Just free to a home. Ladies and gentlemen, Andre the Giant would like to do his impression of Willie Nelson. Suck yourself dry! Alright. Hello folks and welcome to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Poulos. It's good to be back. I was in Oklahoma City all week doing some great shows, and I also got the opportunity to record my new comedy album called Husband, Father, Idiot. And I thought I'd do a little podcast about the ins and outs of recording a comedy album, because... I don't know. Maybe it's interesting to some people. Maybe it isn't. Who knows? But I... uh, Just a little history on my comedy albums, because it is kind of funny. So I started out comedy, as a lot of you know, if you listen to this podcast, playing funny songs on the guitar. Early on in my career, I was trying to just fill time so I could get out on the road and do comedy. So, uh, the first funny song I ever wrote, um, was called, uh, wow, I can't believe I'm actually spacing the name of the first song I ever wrote. Uh, it was called Drunk Outside a Taco Bell drive Through Window. Jeez. You hit 40 and you forget everything. Anyways, so that song was based on... I went to uh, this family destination town called Wisconsin Dells with a buddy of mine. And we got drunk one night and made the decision that we were going to walk to Taco Bell, not realizing any kind of like sense of space and time. It was like four in the morning on like a Thursday. And we just start making the trek down to Taco Bell like it's still going to be open. I think. You know, most of them are 24 hours now, but at at that time, like, I don't think anything was 24 hours, especially not in a small town in Wisconsin. So we walked down there, and the place is closed. There's just a lady cleaning in there, a uh, a tiny Mexican cleaning lady. So I wrote this song a few years later. I don't know why it became my first funny song. I feel like... I was at a party at some point, and a guy was playing the guitar, and everybody was swooning, and and I knew how to play the guitar a little bit, so I just started playing some riffs, and I just made up a funny song, and somehow it became my thing, so I would would play funny songs on stage. Mostly it was just the Taco Bell song, and I think, like, the second song I ever wrote was probably my weirdest one ever, which was called A Homosexual Clown Sheds a Tear. I don't know where the hell that one came from. But 
I was doing these songs on stage and I was in Rockford, Illinois and this guy came up to me after the show and he was part of the radio station that promoted the show and he said, hey, I really like that uh, Drunk Outside of Taco Bell drive through song. He goes, did you want to come into the studio and record it and that way you could have a copy of it? And I was like, wow, that's great. Um, and he said, bring any more songs that you have, we can record all of them. So I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. So I went in there and at the time, I think I had like three actual songs and I had like four of them that I had written, but I hadn't really worked them out that well or, or even played them on stage to tell you the truth. But I got to this guy's studio and I'm like, I don't want to squander this opportunity. So I just played all seven songs. He recorded them. He sent them to me. And for whatever reason, I just decided that that was going to be my first comedy album. So I went to uh, this production house in Minneapolis. I did a real simple design on the album and had it mixed and all that stuff and, and put it out as my first album. I think it was 12 minutes long. It was called Drunken Songs from the drive Through." But I will say a modicum of success out of that album. There was, uh, I don't even know if he's on the air anymore, but it was uh, a guy called Dr. Demento who would do funny song shows. And he actually uh, is credited with the rise of Weird Al Yankovic. So I submitted some of my songs to his show and he actually played one of my songs on his show and um, I know I have that recording somewhere, I don't know where it is, but uh, it was pretty cool for him to give my song the intro and whatever it was called, Have You Ever Been So Drunk? And it was just basically like a collection of the silliest things I've done when I was drunk. So I had that one for a while, and a lot of comics from Minneapolis were kind of ticked off with me that I was selling an album after the show, because I had only been doing comedy for like a year, and the album was like 12 minutes long, so I was selling it for $5, and they got really mad at me, because they were selling their comedy albums at the time for like $15, and they're like, why would you sell it for $5, and I was like, it's so short, but they got so mad at me about it that I just stopped selling it after the show. And I think it was about three years into comedy, I was doing um, Nitwits Comedy Club in Sioux Falls. That comedy club is closed now, but um, such a fun place. And the, the headliner was Bob Zaney, and he had hired a company to come in and record his set so he could make its new comedy album. And I asked the guy, I said, how much would it be if, if you recorded my sets? And he said, 50 bucks. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So I taped all my sets. <clears throat> I took, uh, I had, I think, maybe 10 or 11 funny songs at that time. Um, and a friend of a friend was like, hey, I got this buddy. He's putting a studio together. He needs, like, a guinea pig to to record stuff so he can fix all the sliders on his equalizer and all this stuff. He goes, he'll record it for free, but you're going to probably be there like all day while he's like rewiring stuff and whatever. And I was like, I don't care. 
So take the recordings from Nitwits, my uh, funny song recordings from this guy's studio, and I mashed it together, and that was basically what got um, The Life and Times of a Large Man, which was my first full-length comedy album out there. And so that one was out there around 2004, and it would be... How long was it? I feel like it was another... had to have been another, like, four years. So, like, around 2008. And I hadn't actually ever... I, I hadn't planned on doing another album. But once again, I was doing one-liners in Indianapolis. And this guy, uh, Jeff Caldwell, was headlining. And the Bob and Tom show had come down. And they wired the whole place up to record this guy's album... And they were, like, so involved with it, like, I didn't even bother the sound engineer guy. But in my head, I was like, man, it would be so cool if I could get a recording of this. But, you know, like, I I didn't want to bug anybody. And then at the end of the week, the guy was like, hey. He goes, I recorded, like, two of your sets because I was working on the the equalizing for the board and stuff. He goes, but if you want them, you can have them. And he sent them to me over Dropbox. And what was funny was he sent them to me. No, I take that back. He mailed them to me. I remember now because I had the disc. But it was like a professional recording. Like the tracks were all separated um, from each mic so you can like mix it together professionally and stuff. But I couldn't even I couldn't even listen to it because it was all separated and I didn't have a program to listen to it. So I I basically had this disc for quite a while. I feel like it was at least a year that I just sat on this disc and I didn't know what to do with it. And then just one day I was like, uh, I guess I'll just go pay the money to get this mixed together. And then like so I there was there's a company in Minneapolis called um, Copycats, and they have a production company inside their their studio there. So I basically sat down with this guy, and he took all the tracks and dropped them into his program, and then mixed them all together. And then I listened to it literally for the first time in this guy's studio, which is a horrible idea because these guys you pay them by the hour. So now I'm just listening to my own comedy while I'm paying another guy so I can listen to it. And then, since I I didn't have any editing program, I basically just, like, sat there with him for the next, like, four hours. And we edited it and mixed it and mastered it. And then he, he gave it to me. And he was like, you know, here you go. So I took that disc. And at the time... I had written, I think it was, it was quite a few more songs, because at that time was when I started doing Stoner and the Fat Man with a buddy of mine, so we had written like six songs for Stoner and the Fat Man, and then a few of the other older songs I rewrote and stuff, so in my head I was like, I can't just release a CD of comedy, like it has to have music on it, that's, that's what grabs them, (laughs) so... I started shopping around to find a studio that I could record 
the new songs for the second album, which would become Journey to the Smilfs. And I found this studio in St. Paul. It was like a guy in his basement who had like a full studio. And we walked in, me and uh, and my buddy Joe Cocazello, he came with me because it was Stoner and the Fat Man and we were going to tape some of the Stoner and the Fat Man songs and put it on that CD. And we walk into this guy's house and there's just like tons of religious paraphernalia laying around. And we were like, oh man, because a lot of the songs were pretty filthy. There was one called Put Your Flip Flops On, which was about one night stands. And then Friends With Benefits. It was a lot of like sex and and fart jokes. And we're like, I don't know if this is going to fly in this religious guy's studio. And he said... Because we asked, I go, listen, we're doing a comedy album, so it's probably be pretty crass or whatever. And he's like, do whatever you want, just don't take the Lord's name in vain. So, like, immediately my brain was, like, shifting through all the songs, making sure there was nothing in there about, you know, goddamn or anything like that. And surprisingly, there wasn't. There was a lot of talk about pussy, but there was nothing about God in there. So, we sat in there and we recorded... And it was, you know, a fun experience sitting in the studio with my buddy and, you know, he got to play his recorder on tape and stuff. Anyways, it, uh, I think, you know, no, no offense to that guy as far as me as a comic back then, but I just feel like the second half of the album with the funny songs pretty much makes that album. The, the comedy part of it. I didn't necessarily like the crowds that were there at one-liners, but it was a a professional grade recording of me doing stand-up comedy. So I was like, well, I guess, I guess I got to use it, you know? Um, so then that one was in the can and I had that one for a while. And once again, it was one of those things where I wasn't even thinking of another album And in 2011, I went and did the uh, Comcast Trial by Laughter in Indianapolis, and I ended up winning it, and one of the prizes was a record deal with Next Round Records, so I was like, oh man, I better get to work on writing another hour, and it was funny, because I went back and I listened to Journey to the Smilfs, and my show was pretty much completely different from what I was doing then, so I didn't have to do that much work. So I won the contest in November. I came back in January. Um, uh, I think it was January 2012. And I recorded five shows at Morty's Comedy Club in Indianapolis. And uh, and got it down. And, and I thought it was... I thought it was probably the best live recordings I had done to date. Um, so I, I mashed all that up into, uh, what would become unbridled enthusiasm, and it was, uh, my first, not only was, I think, my best, uh, it was also my first comedy album that was going to feature complete stand-up, like, nothing else but stand-up, and then I, uh, I put some extras at the end of the album, I put up, uh, some bonus tracks, some deleted jokes, and stuff like that, and, and I got just lambasted by a few people that reviewed my album that were like, 
we just listened to an hour of comedy and now we're gonna listen to the bonus tracks like what the hell (laughs) so I don't know in my brain like every time ever since my first album in my brain I'm like a comedy album has to be 80 minutes long so no matter what I could do to push a comedy album to 80 minutes I would just put tons of stuff on there anywho so I got done with that and and I was pretty much I don't know I just I felt like I I had recorded everything I wanted to get recorded on Unbridled Enthusiasm like a lot of jokes from you know like 2004 to or 2008 to 2011 so another another like four years it's pretty crazy that on average I release an album every four years and I don't ever really plan it it just happens that way so it's kind of creepy to tell you the truth but so I, I was excited about Unbridled Enthusiasm because it was it was an album that had a lot of jokes on there that I considered my signatures things that people remembered me for and it was fun to capture those and get them out to people that may have not heard me do stand up and then when I started working on this new album obviously I had to go back and and re uh, and re-listen to that album to remember what jokes were on there and it's just interesting because in the last five years like I've made a real departure from like I wouldn't say vulgar comedy but just like kind of I've had more of a departure from like road comedy where it's like drinking and fucking and all that kind of stuff like really started writing jokes about me and my family and and uh very specific things that people can hang on to after the show and not so much gimmicky stuff as as just stuff from the heart and stuff so I go back so a couple weeks ago because I was, I was planning this for a while. I was just trying to find the right venue to do the recording. And it just so happened that a friend of a friend had a guy who does CD recordings in Oklahoma City. So that's why it ended up being in Oklahoma City. So I go back and I listen to my last album. And I was in shock at how filthy it was. I was like, what the hell was I thinking about? I'm talking about pussies and punching them and licking them and fingering them and I'm just like oh my god what the hell was I talking about but I feel like at that time I was kind of in this like weird limbo time where me and me and my wife had been together for about three years and I still performed my act as like a single guy I hadn't really had the experiences or the time to write present day stuff about being in a relationship and and I just remember I remember having so much anxiety about retiring all that single guy material like somehow if I started talking about being married with children on stage that the crowd would just like not be into it at all they would just be like cause I don't know it just sounds stupid like I just thought if you're a comedian and and you're on stage and you project this persona of like a single guy out on the town 
that women would connect with you and guys would connect with you and as soon as you started saying you were married with kids that you would like lose half the audience because they weren't married with kids but in the end funny is funny so I was actually a lot happier and a lot more mentally stable when I was able to make the shift over to the married guy persona on stage than the single punch and pussy guy on stage and so it was you know it kind of felt fun again because I was like well now I get to write about my kids and I get to write about being married and life how life works at that that level and I can talk about you know how much of an idiot I am and silly stuff that happens and and just kind of go in a new direction so it was uh it was exciting again and I I knew I'd been writing like a good amount of material but I still didn't feel like I had enough to fill a new album so I started kind of like checking it out and I started timing my sets and and really taking a look at them and and it was coming out to being like 50 minutes of material that wasn't on the last album. So I was like, you know, I think it's time to release some more content and kind of get my name out there again and build it up. So, you know, kind of the logistics of recording a comedy album is obviously first you have to have the material, um, tried and true material that's going to work anywhere because as soon as you decide on this day at this comedy club, I'm going to record my CD. There's no second chances. Like, they show up, they wire the room, you pay them money, and then they tape your sets. So, if it doesn't go well, you know, it doesn't go well. So, you just blew whatever money you paid that guy for nothing. So, there's a lot of anxiety there. Um, but... A lot of people, even comics now, they have all the all the equipment to do the recording. You know, if you put out a blast on Facebook, you could probably find somebody in whatever town that you're in that would come out and record you. So this guy came out um, to the club this weekend, and he had some really primo uh, equipment. Like, sometimes they come in, and it's pretty shitty, but this guy, I was really surprised at the equipment that he was walking around with, so... I'm hoping it translates into the comedy album, but so once you decide, you got to get, you know, you got to write the material, it's got to be solid, it's got to be ready to go, then you got to find a guy that'll wire up the room to record you, and then at that point, you just got to make magic happen, you know, you got to catch lightning in a bottle, as they say, and usually comics say that uh, you never do worse than when you're trying to record an album, you know, it's just like... So first show, and he only came out for the one day on Saturday and recorded early show and late show because I figured, like, two shots at it, I'd probably be able to get what I needed. And the first show was good. It was solid. It was sold out, so it was, uh, it felt good. There was some dips in the set. I'm going to have to listen to the recording and see if it was as bad as I thought it was on stage. And dips are just areas where nobody's laughing. Sometimes it's exterior, like, you know, uh, people are out smoking or drinking or they drop the checks or, you know, a waitress drops a tray of drinks and nobody's paying attention. But we'll have to take a look at it. But 
once you get the recordings, then you need to either buy some software or go somewhere where you can you can edit edit down what what jokes you want in and what jokes you don't want in, and uh, and try to kind of construct a story because that's that's kind of what they want nowadays in a comedy album. They want this coherent like story about your life on a CD, you know, it just can't be a collection of Jerry Seinfeld observations anymore, so, once you figure that out, once you got it all set to go, like, what do you do, you know, well, if you live in Minneapolis, the best idea would be to go to uh, Copycats Media, they're a full service uh, uh, printing and, and media company, they'll basically help you design the cover and the inside and the disc and everything and and they put them together with like <clears throat> glossy stuff in the the CD case and shrink wrap and box them up all that kind of stuff and it's it's pretty amazing when you get that that first box of CDs off the runway and and you know it's got the barcode on it and and the track listings on the back and everything it's just there's nothing like it, man. And to think that 16 years in, that I have spanned enough time to have enough material to fill four full-length comedy albums is... It's pretty amazing to me. And I think this album, performance-wise and material-wise, is probably the best that I've ever done. Because I went back and I listened to Unbridled Enthusiasm, which I considered like considered like the album I've been waiting to record all my career. Like this, this was the night, and this was the jokes that I felt were going to take me to the next level. And when I l- listened back to that album, you know, it was only a mere five years ago. But five years in comedy is a long time. But five years ago, I'm listening to myself. And there was just a lot of... A lot of missteps. A lot of crutches. The thing that drove me insane, like, it's almost impossible to listen to, is for whatever reason, I hadn't done it before, I haven't done it after, but for some reason during the taping of my CD, I had a tick where... I would punctuate lines with, okay, 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 okay. Like, I would say okay and K all the time. Like, it was really prominent in the Flapjacks and Tits joke on the Unbridled Enthusiasm, where I'm like, I'm like, her boobs were humongous, okay? They were coming out of the kitchen five minutes before she was, okay? Blah, 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 okay? And I'm like, oh my God, shut the fuck up! I just couldn't deal with it. I'm like, oh my God. But I'm sure there's going to be something when I listen to the new recordings of this album over the weekend where I'm like, oh my God, will you stop smacking your lips together, you sicko? But uh, that remains to be seen. But, you know, and then if you're going to do an album, you got to get pictures done for the album cover. You know, you can always take... A lot of comics, they'll take, like, their old kit pictures and use them on there. Just older pictures that you've already taken. You know, but if you want to be professional, you should definitely, like, shoot some new pictures and 
package it all together and, and try to make your way with it. And and if you're not with a record label, if you're if you're just Joe Schmo like trying to put out a CD, you should definitely put it on CD Baby because that's what I did with. <clears throat> all the previous albums before I got to Unbridled Enthusiasm as I just submitted them to CD Baby and it was very cheap, I think it was like $65 and what CD Baby does is it takes it and it it distributes it around the country, it puts it on Spotify and and Pandora iTunes um, all of this stuff where you can actually, you know, diversify your album and make more money so do that it's a very easy thing. And then once you do that, make sure you sign up for Sound Exchange. And what Sound Exchange is, it's a company that actually gathers and reports the royalties for every audio artist basically out there. Because it may be surprising to you, but if you have any kind of a business that you play copyrighted music, like even if it's elevator music like you have to pay ASCAP which is the company that you know handles musicians and you're basically paying royal you're paying the copyright and the royalties to be able to play copyrighted music in your business so sound exchange gathers those up I mean for guys like me it's not that much you know every three or four months I'll get a check for like $65 but $65 is still $65, so do that, sign up for Sound Exchange, and uh, submit it to a lot of places to get a review, and, uh, you know, review, the reviews on iTunes is what pushes you up the charts, so get people to review your album, yeah, and I think, I think that's about it, I'm pretty excited to, uh, to see how this thing comes out. So this week, uh, I'm going to be at the uh, Hey Guys Comedy Club in Fairview Heights, Illinois. Doing three shows, one on Friday, two on Saturday. Check out their website, heyguyscomedyclub.com, for information. (coughs) Next month, I'm going to be on the road for four shows with Michael Carbonaro. We're going to Boston, Foxwoods, uh, Fort Lauderdale, and uh, Lakeland, Florida. So... If you're any of those cities, buy tickets, come out and see Michael Carbonaro, and uh, yeah, keep your ear to the ground, I'm going to be working on this new album, and uh, I'm hoping to uh, get it out for a uh, early March release, that would be, uh, that would be amazing, if I could do early February, that would be even better, but uh, yeah, so keep your eye out for it. And you can always get this podcast at Podbean, iTunes, and Stitcher. Check out my website, largedrunkman.com, for all the upcoming dates. And tune in next time when we talk about who knows.